We're talking about the back end on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. And to my left is the incomparable Taylor Muckerman. How are you today, sir? I'm all right. Did I say uh, back and right? Well, I say Bach and you say back and whatever. It's like I'll be Bach. Yeah. Bach and, I don't we'll, know. Leave, we'll leave it up to the listeners to determine who's right and who's wrong. It's spelled B-A-K-K-E-N. It's not exactly phonetically spelled correctly either. Anyway. Um, so in our continuation of our conversation last week, uh, where we saw you know energy and production, just companies raising cash by monetizing midstream assets, in that case it was a pipeline, mm-hmm. um, Hess, Emirata Hess, just uh, announced that it is selling a 50% interest in their back-end midstream assets for $2.675 billion. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very curious what they're going to do with this money, but first and foremost, uh, what can you tell me about this? What do you think? Is it worth it? Well, Hess has been trying to sell a lot of its midstream assets, not lately, but they, they sold off most of their midstream assets a couple of years ago, um, You know, right around the same time that oil was doing really well. They wanted to concentrate on producing oil because that's where the money was at the time. So apparently they're going all in on oil now. Yeah, well, you see, it's only a 50% interest, right? But they're selling it as a joint venture. So there's unlike the deal we talked about last week- Where they're just getting rid of the They're pipeline. getting rid yeah. of it. Yeah, Enterprise Product Partners took the entire pipeline- this one, uh, they're still they're still keeping some kind of exposure to that. Um, hope they're gonna one day maybe shoot for an IPO with this joint venture. So there's still money to be made for Hess, but they are raising about three billion dollars if you include all the, the the debt issuances of the JV and and the money that they're being paid. You said it was two point six seven five billion dollars. So that's a lot of assets and. Um, they already had a strong balance sheet compared right. to Pierce, so now they're now they're looking really, really, really good, um, and they plan on a keeping the balance sheet strong, and now they now they have options to go out if oil decides to keep climbing like it has been over the last week or so. If, if we see an uptrend, they have a lot of money where they can go ahead and get some new wells going, um, maybe get some new leaseholds and. Uh, one thing they did hint at was some some disciplined buybacks of shares, yeah, uh, which makes sense. Oil price, the prices of all these companies, Hess included, have taken a pretty dramatic hit. Um, the market seems to like it. They're up. They're up today. Uh, 7%. So, uh, just for our listeners that aren't fully aware, midstream activities basically are processing, storing, transporting, and marketing of oil, just natural gas and natural gas liquids. Um, how does this factor in with, um, I think it was Kinder Morgan that we see that were actually bringing in their processing partnerships back in? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what's with the divergence here? Um, so, yeah, well, what you're seeing is uh, Kinder Morgan, they just got too big, right? So they. It was it just made, too much to it manage. Made financial separately. sense, and they weren't seeing yeah. the returns necessary. On the individual business units to keep these uh, these partnerships out there because they need a higher cost of capital. Yeah, and well, I, they as, have a higher cost of capital, so they need higher returns. And uh, they decided, hey, we're going to bring it all into one roof. We can now attack much larger projects that we see might have much better returns. Whereas this is going to be a fairly small company, although it will be one of, if not the largest, midstream operators in the Bakken region. Awesome. Yeah, this is definitely not a small. Regionally, it's big, but right. but uh, nationwide, this is going to be a pretty small midstream operation. Got it. Very cool. So, uh, moving on, just still talking about this particular shale region. Mm-hmm. Um, more evidence of a slowdown in production. Um, we keep hearing about it, like oh, yeah, man, it's, it's like this like mysterious like voodoo 
magic going on that no one really we knows. We see the recount happening. going down, but where's the production? Yeah. I don't know. But um, first and foremost, uh, Taylor, what is the back and oil discount? So that is basically, okay, so international prices are usually quoted in Brent prices, which is North Sea oil. U.S. prices are generally quoted at West Texas Intermediate or WTI. Which is usually like 6 bucks less than Brent. Uh, well, it's been fluctuating a lot in the past couple of years, so I don't really want to pinpoint it okay, usual yeah, here. Fair enough. Um, but it is typically at a discount to Brent, um, and that's in Cushing, Oklahoma. And it's like, you know, that's where most of the storage in the United States is. And uh, so Bakken sells at a discount because it's further away from the Gulf Coast refiners. It's further away from the mid-continent refiners. It's, and for a while there, you didn't have a lot of these midstream assets there to transport the oil. Um, and so that's why it has been selling at a discount historically. Uh, uh, I think so. The Bakken's like seven dollars and fifty cents cheaper just a few months back. The Bakken's up in you know Montana, North Dakota, all that good mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, a little bit into Canada, it, but yeah. we're talking specifically about U.S. Bakken right now, right? Yeah. So because it's so far north mm-hmm. in you know tropical North Dakota, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> the warm tundra. Yeah, the uh, and it just costs the man money. Camps. Yeah, it, it costs money to transport it down to. Yep. And, the and they didn't have the infrastructure set up, so they had to go build it. And so there was a, there was a lot of potential, but there wasn't much oil coming. So they knew that once they got production of these infrastructure assets online, they weren't it wasn't going to be like a slowdown in the supply, right? Right. They had enough supply to pretty much meet any infrastructure demand that they could set up. So because of that, they there was this bottleneck creating, which is why you typically had seen WTI be at a discount to Brent because when U.S. production started surging, Cushing, Oklahoma wasn't set up to transport the oil to the Gulf, but you've seen the lower leg of the Keystone XL came online and the gap started to close. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the discount's going away. Why does that not mean that uh, the transportation's finally there, the infrastructure's finally there? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, so the, the gap is closing and they're wondering now that the infrastructure has kind of caught up to the, what's capable of being produced there. Um, they're wondering if now it's not as much as being produced. Right. So, there, you know, there's excess capacity here and the oil's free flowing. There's not, the companies aren't waiting to get their oil into the pipeline or onto a rail. There was actually a, I believe there was actually a slowdown in uh, rail shipments last month. So you're seeing, um, you're seeing some excess capacity here. And that's why you're seeing this close the gap, and refiners are sucking this crude up right now. So the demand cheap. is ticking up, right? A it's bit. in the midcontinent. It's cheaper. You know, summer gas summer gas demand goes up, so they're really ramping up to produce a lot of that fuel for consumers. And why wouldn't you want to take advantage of cheap cheap oil right now? Who knows if it's going to go back up in the summer or in the winter um, when you have heating demand? So. I think they're. I think they're really starting to. The refiners are starting to take advantage of this because yeah. who knows how much longer it's going to last. And as you would imagine, cheap oil is good for a refiner because it's an input cost, right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we keep hearing about like China filling up their strategic petroleum reserve and exactly. all this stuff. So yeah. yeah, everybody's soaking it up. And then like traders are filling car are filling um, tankers. Up oh on yeah, the ocean, stuff just, floating, just hanging out there yeah. floating. Uh, which is why you might see tanker rates at a pretty good level right now, even though. We're not seeing an increased amount of shipments globally, but these ships are being chartered to just sit there and anchor out and hold hold up. Can you imagine just being full one, of oil? one of those traders? Like, yeah, I got this huge barge sitting off the coast. It's full of oil. I don't yeah. know what to do with it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> 
Interesting little side note. I was reading a little while back about a guy who's um, distilling whiskey in barrels on a boat because he thinks that the motion of the ocean is going to add a unique flavor to it by the by the constant, uh, I guess, shifting. Or that is the one the thing. That is the one thing mankind has not tried to uh, yeah. mix it up with whiskey. Maritime so. whiskey. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, is that what it's going to be called? Oh, I don't know. That's just what I would call it. That's the great brand. Yeah. You should trademark that. Uh, and last but not least, I did want to touch upon this because, uh, you know, we're just talking about huge just surge in U.S. production mm-hmm. that we've seen uh, basically since the depths of the Great Recession. But uh, we're no longer the United States of America. We're kind of the United States of oil. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've surpassed Russia and Saudi Arabia in oil production. This is – I mean, we did it so fast, too. Yeah, it was. we didn't take our time with it. No, you know, it's like – Which is probably why we're seeing 50 and $60 a barrel oil oops. right now. <laughs> oops. <laughs> That's typ- t- typical America, right? <laughs> well, it's like that old adage, you know, the cure for high prices is high prices yeah. and the cure for low prices is low prices. So, yeah, um, a lot of people have been predicting this for a while, but it's finally here. Um, what did they say? We uh, – Rose production by 1.6 million barrels in 2014, and um, first day. time in three years. Yeah. Right, right, right. Per day, first time in three years that any nation has increased production by more than one million barrels per day. Right. So because Saudi Arabia's been hanging out at ten, we're doing our thing. Yeah. Well, they've got their OPEC mandates. They don't want to. Right. Obviously, they don't want to flood the market, which is why they they uh, came out and said that they're going to keep production where it was, and and then in November and production and uh, prices. Now, full disclosure, we still consume what, like sixteen or eighteen million da- barrels a day. I, I'm not too sure how much we consume. Global global demand. Uh, let's see, global demand. They said was um, actually increased just 0.9% in 2014. Um, it grew two percent last year in 2013. So uh, we're seeing a slowdown in consumption growth, but oil grew 2.3% globally on production side so we're moving That's in why the we wrong got a price direction. crash. We're moving in the wrong direction and America is one of the biggest reasons why. It's but our fault. hey, you know, cheap oil is good for us and what they say. Right. It's what they say. Um, so is how long is this going to last? Because I've read multiple studies where um, we've got this huge surge in you know, shale oil and we're getting all this you know, oil out of the ground that we couldn't before and all that. Yep. But um, we're about to supposedly plateau again and our production is going to slowly start to decline again in like four years what's well, that's what they said before a shale revolution right Touché. i have faith in america Touché. i think well if, if the audience can't see we have a bald eagle sitting on his if, yeah right that's now. right yeah it's uh <laughs> we don't believe in parrots at the moment <laughs> just bald eagles um oh, what my opinion on this kind of is starting to become is that we're going to get better and better globally and in the United States. Probably the United States first, and then obviously, and then the technology will transfer. Because even elsewhere. the the EMP guys like EOG, they're ridiculously more efficient compared to just two years. Yeah, ago. like every month they get more yeah. efficient. So it seems like we're going to figure this out. We're leaving most of the oil is still in the ground of these wells that they're drilling. We just can't economically retrieve it right now, and we'll figure that out. I'm assuming in, in a safe way, and if we do. I think our ability to produce will outlast our ability to consume because we'll just be using solar power. Wind power. Everybody will have a Tesla, obviously. Yeah, that, I mean, that's panels. my opinion. I think this is a multi-decade <laughs> long thought, but I do think that the idea of running out of oil is 
is just a waste of people's time. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you for your thoughts, sir. Mm-hmm. Have a good one. You too. That is it for us, Fools. But before we go, I wanted to make everybody aware of a very special offer for all industry-focused listeners. If you found this discussion informative and you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We are offering the lowest price out there for our industry-focused listeners. It is $98 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every month with insight from our team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of that deal. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. For Taylor Muckerman, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on! 